is Christian Questions. Alexander Solzhenitsyn once said, The battle line between good and evil runs through the heart of every man. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Christian Questions Talk Radio with a Purpose with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Rick, that perspective is based on godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, all in a politically free zone. Jonathan, the best part is this. We talk and you listen, and then you talk and we listen. You can contact us at our website, ChristianQuestions.com. I'm Rick. And I'm Jonathan. And folks, we're truly glad you've chosen to spend some time with us here on this fine Sunday morning. Good morning, Jonathan. What's happening? Good morning, Rick. Well, our question for this morning is, do the fires of hell come from God? Part three. And our theme text... Part three? Part three. I think we had enough of the subject already. (laughs) And our theme text is in Acts 3, verse 23. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Okay, so part three. Well, we know this, Jonathan. We know that the world is messed up. If you believe in God, then you most likely believe in some sort of ultimate justice system. The question is, what does God's system of justice consist of? What kind of penalty? For generations, the majority of Christianity has believed in a hell of fire and torment as as an answer to this question. However, there is a mountain of biblical evidence to the contrary. Today, we will embark on part three of our series of Do the Fires of Hell Come from God to examine that evidence. We will look at some of the really difficult and seemingly contradictory scriptures that talk about the condition of those who were evil in this life. Do they go to hell? Is there fire and torment in hell? And Jonathan, I just want to pre-answer one of those questions. Yes, they do go. Uh, is there fire and torment? No, we believe there is not. Okay. Okay, and we'll right up front. we'll develop that as we go. But uh, just before we get started, um, this is one of those listener-driven subjects. Yes, that's right. We we had done a program on the soul several months ago, and uh, we got a, a letter from. One of the listeners that said, well, you know, how come you didn't talk about all of these specific scriptures? And he listed out a whole bunch of scriptures that had to do with the, the concept of hell. So uh, we wrote back and said, you know what? Good thinking. We'll do that. And this third part in the series will cover every single one of those scriptures. Um, you know, we covered some in the first two programs. Sure, sure. But this will cover the rest of them. Uh, so because... Being responsive to those kinds of questions is very important to us. Oh, it is. So, folks, if you do have a thought, a question, you can email us at rick at christianquestions.com or .net or, yeah. .net. Yes, .net. I knew that. <laughs> you can send, leave us a message uh, via your app or uh, going to the website. Lots of ways to contact us. Okay, so, Jonathan, let's get started with this. Part one, uh, examine the bi- biblical phrase, weeping or wailing and gnashing of teeth. That's right, and that we found means a deep, heartbreaking sorrow and anguish coupled with consternation, anger and pain at a great, great loss. Right, so this reaction never applied to any eternal torment or torture, only to loss of opportunity of God's favor at one time or another, and replied to several different groups of individuals who could have or did lose God's favor. Right. Okay, so part two then examined the word for Gehenna, 
which means the Valley of Hinnom. And that's a word that is often translated hellfire. Yep. And we saw how this valley was used as a garbage dump, where fires were constantly burning to utterly destroy everything that was thrown in. And now it symbolized utter and disgraceful destruction. And that's the key. That's what it was there for. And nothing alive, Rick, was ever thrown into that garbage dump. No, but the bodies of criminals were. They weren't given the honor and respect of a proper burial. That's right. And they were thrown in there, the dead carcasses, to be consumed as a picture of the disgrace of their of their life. And what about the background of this location? Yeah, there was a lot of uh, heinous sins committed there in, in, oh, in yeah. worshiping Moloch and actually offering their children up and sacrifice to Moloch. Very, very, it very awful. Yeah, it really was just just something that you, just a, a place you don't want to ever ever be a part of. So those were the first two parts. Today, part three, we will examine the word Hades and its Old Testament counterpart Sheol, which, and, which is often, both of them are often translated hell. So what do they mean and how are they used? Okay. Let's start with the Old Testament because, Jonathan, uh, one of the important biblical study principles is you have to build your structure of scriptural reasoning based on the foundation. Absolutely, which is the Old Testament. Jesus used the Old Testament as his foundation for the new. Absolutely. We, therefore, when we study the words of Jesus, have to find the foundation that he used, understand it, so we can truly understand his words as well. Good. So Good. Old Testament, first, it's an important important part of this. Okay, so in the Old Testament, there's only one word translated for hell, so that makes it a little bit easier. Okay. And that's the word Sheol. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the definition is a little bit fugazi. <laughs> <laughs> well, it says, Rick, a subterranean retreat. Okay, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> okay, subterranean. And I think that's where you get the idea of underground. Sure. Because that's what subterrain is, mm-hmm. underground. Mm-hmm. Right. So, what does that mean? And it's interesting, in the Old Testament, the word for um, uh, uh, Sheol, the word Sheol is actually translated grave 31 times. Okay. It's translated hell 31 times. Oh, that's interesting. And it's translated pit three times. Okay. So well, now, why? Well, now that's a really good question. Jonathan asks why. We want to answer that question. Why isn't it one word? <laughs> well, and, and, and see, here's the thing. When you think of the grave, what do you think of? The ground someone's buried. Yeah. You, where you, the grave. Where you put a, a dead body. Right. You know, and folks, look, you know, what we're going to be talking about the, the idea of hell and death and all of that. And look, if you have little kids, I, you know, I don't know if you want to. Because, you know, we're also going to talk about the torment and torture part of some some biblical um, interpretations. Mm-hmm. So, and some of it's kind of graphic. Yeah. So, you yeah. just want to be sure that you are monitoring Good. what's going into those little ears. Absolutely. Okay. So, you know, you think of grave, you think of a place where you, you put a dead body. Sure. A with, cemetery. <laughs> and, you know, with respect, I might add. Yes. Yes. So... And when you think of the word hell, depending on where you come from, what your perhaps your denominational attachment is, you can think of several different things. But oftentimes when people think of hell, what do they think of? They think of a place of torment yeah. for eternity. So the first problem we have is when we look at the Old Testament, you have the Old Testament using the exact same word and translated two very, very different kinds of ways. You've got to ask yourself... Well, what's up with that? 
And we're going to go into the what's up with that in, in just a couple of minutes here. Folks, we're talking about the concept of hell or torment as it is or is not taught in Scripture. We'd love to hear your input at 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central, and that means we're on right now. And you can now message us on your smartphone app during the program, and we will try to share your comment on air. Yeah, and, and you know, we've gotten some, some great messages. You know, last week we got a really great message at the end of the program. We just didn't have time to get it on the air. Um, so just want to let you know, if you do that, make sure you do it earlier because <laughs> we'd like to repeat it. Also, just another another message just from a, another listener after last week's program. Um, she says, hello, I want to take a moment and thank you for the recent program about endurance. I've listened to it several times, and each time it fills my heart with hope. I took note of every word. Thank you for taking the time to encourage those who are listening. Your kindness is much appreciated. And we've gotten some really good response from that program on endurance last week. Excellent. And Excellent. So we're glad they enjoyed it. And, you know, we really, really love it when, when you tell us Absolutely. what you like and then also what you don't like because sure, that sure. helps us get better. Okay, so back to the subject. Let's look at some of the warnings, quote-unquote, using this word sheol, which, remember, is translated a couple of different ways in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy, actually three different ways. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 21 to 23. They have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their vanities, and I will move them to jealousy with those which are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. All right, so God, and it's interesting, Deuteronomy, you know, you're talking about the beginning of the establishment of the nation of Israel as a, as a nation sure. with, with the law. Yeah. And already they're in trouble. <laughs> I mean, it, it didn't take them generations and generations to figure out how to get into trouble. They just no. naturally knew. And so God is saying, they've moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. So with their idolatry, with, 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 with the worshiping of other things, other ideas, other gods and in, in place of God Almighty. And God's reaction to that is, I will move them to jealousy with a, with, with a people which are not a people. Now, the interesting thing is that is that's, that's quoted where? In uh, Romans 10, 19 to 21. And what's it relating to? Well, uh, Gentiles coming to favor because they were not a people right. in God's sight. Only Israel so, were. So that scripture is quoted in the New Testament showing yes. that when God says, I'm going to do this, it took thousands of years for God to do that. But he did it. But he did it. Yes. And, and, and Romans is telling us that was the fulfillment of that particular prophecy. So, so, so God is angry with Israel. Yes. So what does he say? For a fire is kindled in mine anger, and shall burn unto the lowest hell, and shall consume the earth with her increase, and set on fire the foundations of the mountains. So, God's, for a fire is kindled in his anger, and shall burn unto the lowest hell. And you can look at that scripture and say, aha, there's a burning hell. But that's not what it's saying. It shall burn unto the lowest subterranean chamber. What does fire do? It shall consume the earth. With her increase. So it's not talking about burning in some hell. It's talking about the fire of God's anger consuming the earth. Yes. And it's figurative language. Yep. So you can't put that fire of God's anger in a place called hell because that's not what the scripture does. Okay, so that's that's the first. Thing. Excellent. Now, Jonathan, we've got several two two sources of sound bites for the program today. One is a, a woman named Tamara LaRue who uh, it, it says that when she was a teenager, she actually went to hell and came back. 
and she is being interviewed on the 700 Club about this experience. And again, there's some very graphic things in this in terms of, of the description, so if, if, if little children are listening, please be, be aware of that. So let, let's go to this first soundbite with Tamara LaRue's uh, recounting of her experience. Pat, when I pulled that trigger, I knew my body was dying. I felt the blood rushing through my lungs. Death gripped my body. I became blind. I became death, uh, deaf. And as my soul left my body, I began traveling faster than the speed of light. And I began falling and falling and falling. And all of a sudden, this explosion happened on the inside of me. It was as if there was like a sulfuric type acid burn that consumed me in every way. It was so hideous. So we're going to be coming back to her. And, you know, she tried to kill herself. And she she missed, essentially, but she was in very critical condition. That's what she's talking about. Okay. All right. But it's interesting. She says, you know, she was traveling, you know, faster than the speed of light. Now, when when people talk about hell, according to Scripture, they talk about it as being under the ground. Right? Right. right. Now, if you're traveling faster than the speed of light, you're going to get through the earth in a millisecond. Sure. So where are you going? Uh, just, just a yeah. question. Yeah. Just, just a question. Okay. Uh, let's, let's look at a couple of the ways, the examples of the way the word Sheol is used in the Old Testament. Uh, first, let's look at translations where it's translated uh, hell. Psalm 9, 17. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Okay. Wicked go to hell. Psalm fifty-five, fifteen. Let death seize upon them, and let them go down quick to hell, for wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. So bad people go to hell. Now, if you put the word Sheol in there, that's appropriate. Yes. Bad people go to Sheol. Okay. Hell sounds bad, but wait, there's more. You ever they see those commercials? But wait, there's more. First <laughs> Samuel two six. The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. See now. This is not really talking about somebody who's necessarily evil, is it? No. And the word is? Grave, not hell. Which is the same word? As Sheol. Okay. Job 14, 13. Oh, that thou wouldst hide me in the grave, that thou wouldst keep me secret until thy wrath be passed, that thou wouldst appoint me a set time and remember me. So there's another example of the word Sheol translated grave. And obviously, Job is a man who's who's godly. Oh, absolutely. Job is Asking God to hide him in Sheol. Yes. The same place that bad people go. Why would you want to be hidden there if that's where bad people go and all of those other things happen? See, that's an inherent question that needs to be looked at very, very carefully. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Do the Fires of Hell Come from God? Part 3. Coming up. So the Old Testament word Sheol is erroneously translated in two different ways, hell and grave. Could they both be right? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Do the Fires of Hell Come from God? Part 3. To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you can message us on your app. 
We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And don't forget to go to our website and sign up for CQ Rewind, the full edition. And this way you can have each part of this program in front of you and read through it so you can cover all aspects of the subject. You know, and, and Jonathan, I'm glad you said that because a subject like this is really important because it has a lot to do with a lot of things. And if you want to get a scriptural understanding, oftentimes in, in my own experience when, when people ask questions you know, about a subject like this, they'll say, well, what about this scripture? Right. And so you have to deal with that scripture. And, and so you, you do it, but unless you've built the whole scriptural understanding of the whole picture, it's hard to deal with that one scripture. Sure, sure. So if you have Seeker Rewind, the full edition, if you haven't signed up, please do. Um, what it does is gives you the ability to say, okay, here's all the groundwork. Now when I look at that one scripture, now it can make a whole lot more sense because I have all of this other scriptural evidence to build upon. Excellent. So really an important aspect of things. So in the Old Testament, both good and people, good and good and people, good, good and bad people go to Sheol. There's no doubt or evidence, um, no thought or evidence of Sheol housing any fire or torture. It's a pit, a place of sleep, of the sleep of death. It's the grave. The scripture we read in Job, we read Job 14, yeah. uh, 14, or 14, 13. Let's read that again and then let's read the 14th verse as well. Oh, that thou wouldst hide me in the grave, Sheol, that thou would keep me secret until the wrath, thy wrath be passed. That would, that thou wouldest appoint me a set time and remember me. If a man die, shall he live again? All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. See, now in verse 14, it's talking about dying and living again. Resurrection. Right. Resurrection is a resuscitation from death yes. to life. It's not from one place to another. And, and that's another important aspect of this whole thing. And he was suffering here and now yes, he was. when he was alive. Yes. So he wanted that suffering to end. Right, right. Ecclesiastes 9.10, another verse on this. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do... Do it with thy might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whether thou goest. And, and Jonathan, you had talked to me before the program about the program we did on the on soul. On the soul, that's right. And, and folks, we did that a few months ago. Check that out, because that's another basis, scriptural understanding basis to be able to get this subject in order. So, mm-hmm. so you've got to put them two together. Let's go to another soundbite, Jonathan. This is from uh, uh, a YouTube uh, page or, or site called Real Truth Real Quick. A couple of Christians, they talk about different issues. They, they see the, the hellfire thing differently than we do. Mm-hmm. And there is, we're going to go back to this guy throughout the program. He's going to try to sort of explain how he sees it and, and, and the reasoning or lack thereof in his, in his mind about hellfire. Let's listen. Let me just explain a little bit about why hell is eternal and why it should be and why that verse in Romans 12 is in there where God says, uh, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Because all things, uh, all sins are sins against God, not ultimately me. Even when there's a gross injustice against me, um, it's a sin against my father who values me and says I'm made in his image and uh, that I have dignity because he's given me dignity. And to be wicked towards a human being is to be wicked towards God's opinion and towards God's decree that men and others are valuable. And we're going to come back to that. So there's a little bit of groundwork, you know, but he's saying, you know, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Now, just a quick thought, we'll expand this. When God talked of vengeance in the Old Testament, he talked about death, wiping people out. That's what vengeance was. There was no talk in the Old Testament in God's justice about tormenting them forever. 
Just good, good, good laying point. that out there. Okay, let's look at the New Testament word that's often translated hell. And what is that word? Hades. Okay, and Hades means what Un- does it mean? Unseen. Okay, so again, very difficult to kind of get. But when, if something is buried under the ground, it's unseen. And there is a correlation between those two words. Matthew sixteen eighteen. And I say also unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So the gates of Hades, Hades. shall not prevail against it. So the gates of hell, what, what is Jesus referring to? Well, he's referring to the gates of the grave. And you think about it. When you think, you say, well, that doesn't sound as ominous. Well, think about it for a second. Death. If you see death as as death, as as the end of life, that is the most ominous thing a human being can can, can face because there is no longer any any life or opportunity ever. So when it says the gates of death will not prevail against the kingdom, Jesus is saying, basically, I am the resurrection and the life. Yes. That's what he's saying. He's the key. Right. So now let's let's make a connection between the New Testament word for Hades and the Old Testament word for Sheol because it's important to connect them. Are they the same? And and the answer is yes, they are. And how can we be so sure? Well, let's look at how they're used. Psalm sixteen ten. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, Sheol, nor will you let your holy one see decay. Okay. So that's talking about the Sheol. Acts two twenty seven quotes Psalm sixteen ten. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, Hades, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. So it's exactly quoting the Old Testament, and it's using the Greek word in place of the Hebrew word. So it's a, it's a perfect right. match. You have authority to say they are exactly the same thing. Okay. Now, uh, um, uh, let's do, do one more that, that takes a couple of Old Testament scriptures and quotes them together in one New Testament scripture. We're going to look at Isaiah 25.8. He will swallow up death forever. The Sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. So that phrase, he will swallow up death forever, is what we're going to come back to. Now in Hosea 13, 14, because that that scripture didn't mention Sheol or Hades. No. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. Uh, Okay, the power of Sheol. Sheol. And I will redeem them from death. Where, O death, are your plagues? Where, O grave, or Sheol, is your destruction? I will have no compassion. So you have the idea of Sheol mentioned twice mm-hmm. in the context of death. Yes. And, um, and it says, I will redeem them from death. And then it talks about where, O death, are your plagues? Where, O grave, is your destruction? I will redeem them from Sheol. That's the Hebrew word. Now, in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 15, 54 and 55, it actually quotes from parts of both of those scriptures. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying which is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? And that's... That word grave is Hades. So, again, you have the same exact word used in two different places. In, in, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, one's a Hebrew word, one's a Greek word, yeah. but they mean the same thing. And the key here, Jonathan, is that you know it, it's talking about not being stuck there in Sheol or Hades. In death. Right. In, 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 now, 
let, let, let's be a little bit more clear because when you say we say death, the, the word for death is is one word, and the word for grave is another. Mm-hmm. When somebody dies, they go to the grave. Right. Okay. They're 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 that's that's where they're deposited, for lack of a better way to say it. And that's probably not a really good way to say it. I apologize for that. But but here it's talking about oh death, oh oh the process of 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 the extinguishing of life. Where is your sting? Oh grave, the depository for the dead. Where is your victory? He's saying in, in, this, in this prophecy from the Old Testament quoted in the New Testament about Jesus and the resurrection that there is no permanence to death because of Jesus. Yes. That's really, really important. Oh, it's huge. Because now, you know, we, we, we ask the question, can Hades mean the grave just like Sheol? Yes. Why? Because both of the Old and the New Testament told us that they, they, they mean the same Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. So, with that thought, let's consider these next uh, texts. Jesus being, his life was not permitted to be forever lost in the grave. Uh, Acts 2.27. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, or Hades, neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. Thou wilt not leave my soul or life in the grave. The grave. The tomb. So, and we know Jesus, we know where Jesus was buried. Yep. We know where he was raised from. Mm-hmm. And so, Acts 2.27 is giving us a sense of the power of the grave having a limitation because of Jesus. And you notice that in, in, in these verses, there is no no further explanation of, well, that only means that the power of the grave has no power over people who were loving and following after Jesus or who who were righteous. No, it doesn't. It's doesn't. talking about the grave in, in its biggest sense. Yes. The 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 pit, the, the the subterranean chamber, whatever you want to call it, that holds all who die. Corpses. Right. And it say, "Oh grave, where's your victory? You you can't keep them." That's what it's saying. And so when you look at the idea of the words, Sheol and Hades, in the Old and the New Testament, you get a real sense that, A, it's not permanent, and B, there's nothing there but darkness and quiet and silence. Mm -hmm. Folks, if you have a thought, we're talking about the grave, we're talking about hell and all of those things, it's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern. And 6 to 8 Central, and that means we're on right now. And the conversation continues online at ChristianQuestions.com. Contact us there with your questions or comments. Also, interact with us on our Facebook and tweet us at CQ Net Radio. Okay, so we've gone through some scriptural uh, explanations and understandings of Sheol and Hades. Now let's take a, take a left turn for a moment. Let's go back to Tamara LaRue explaining her experience where she says she went to hell and came back when she was being interviewed on the 700 Club. This, this gets into some, some pretty nasty stuff here. You were in, you, there wasn't anybody else around you. Pat, I could look out and I could see thousands, millions of people that were all around me. But I was unable to communicate with them. Was it like a lake? Was it molten? It was like a, I don't know that it was like a, a lake. There was a, it, it's hard to, um, 
to describe, I guess you, you could say it was like it was a huge sea of people. Yes, and was. there were many, many chambers that were all around me. And all of the people that were there were in the same formless being, mm-hmm. screaming out in agony, in total terror, in a hideous scream. <sighs> then there was no end to it, Pat. There are no words to describe how horrific this was. They were screaming in agony. They were screaming in agony. And because they had become total beings of yeah, death. Yeah. So, Jonathan, there, there's imagery there that is, is frankly, look, that's disturbing by anybody's, oh, for sure. by anybody's uh, perception. Well, maybe unless you're, you're just demented in your mind. Who can be comfortable with that? I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. Because if you're talking about thousands and millions and millions of people in an endless scream of pain and agony, this is what she says that she saw. Now, now, look, did she go there? She saw it the way she saw it. Um, I don't want to say she didn't go there, but she didn't go there. Okay, in her mind, you know, people have out of body experiences when they oh, when yeah. they die yeah. or they're dying. Mm-hmm. I just think this is one of them. Uh, you know, and you know I, that might be. Uh, uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm not considering the whole thing. But when I look at the the description, this is this is what is called God's justice. Now you got to think about that for a minute. You got to think about that and, and what it really means here. So let, let, let's go a little bit further, scripture-wise. Hell, Hades, the grave, will be emptied out. Now, now, yay! This the is resurrection important. and the grave uh, uh, emptied out, and the grave death because of Adam's sin will be destroyed. Now, how do we know that? Because Revelation twenty thirteen and fourteen specifically tells us that. Let's read that. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell, hell, Hades, Hades, or Sheol, whichever testament you're talking about, delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works, and death and Hades, or hell, were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So, what do you have? Wow, this is amazing. The Old Testament Sheol, Equals the New Testament Hades. Right. We've established that through Scripture. Both mean the same thing, the grave. Okay, so you have death, the absence of life, mm-hmm. hell, the grave, where people are placed in that life-absent state. Yes. We're cast into the lake of fire. So hell is cast into the lake of fire. Now, what is the lake of fire? If you go back to our last program on looking at this whole subject, when we talked about Gehenna, meaning the lake of fire, yes, we know that that was a garbage dump, and we know that it meant... Total destruction. And it meant total destruction um, in, in a very um, uncomplimentary way. It was a disgraceful destruction. Yes, yes. So the grave, death and the grave, are going to be destroyed according to what Revelation said. And this is explaining the resurrection and the day of judgment yes. uh, of all humankind. So once all of that is over with, then this Revelation scripture has its application. That's right. So it's after all of that. Death and hell are actually going to be destroyed. And so we, what we need to see is we need to realize that there is much more to this than just saying, oh, hell means some place where people go to be tormented. Much more. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Do the Fires of Hell Come from God? Part 3. Coming up, wait a minute. What about the rich man in hell and being tormented in a flame? 
Well, that is next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Salam. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. And our subject this morning, Do the Fires of Hell Come from God? Part 3. To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you can message us on your app. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. And our website is ChristianQuestions.com. And don't forget, you can also email us at rick at christianquestions.net. And we do love to hear from you, so uh, please uh, please let us know what you think. It's really important to us. Uh, Jonathan, we're, we're talking about an important subject, a difficult subject, and you know, sometimes it's hard to get mm-hmm. because there's a lot of tradition out there, and, and we, what we want to do is we want to be scriptural above traditional. Yes. So that's important as we go through this type of subject. Let's go to the phones. All right. Well, we have Carol from Connecticut. Good morning, Carol, and welcome to Christian Questions. Good morning. I love your show. Thank you. Um, A good friend had told me, if you take your life, okay, what you are feeling, the stress that made you go to this route, you and whatever anger, you will carry that when you die, okay? I want to know what your thinking is on that. Because I'll be, I'll be honest with you, I, 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 the thought has entered my mind a few weeks ago, but I didn't do it because of my love of God, and I don't want to feel what I was feeling, you know, then, if, if, if uh, I do it. And he also, um, there's a very good book, What Dreams May Come by Richard Matheson, is explaining exactly what your um bit your your you know your, your what your that, that lady had yes. said when she died and went to you know the hell and came back her book this book and I don't think she wrote this but this book is fascinating it tells exactly what she's saying my basic question is what i'm feeling right now okay if somebody should hurt them kill themselves you will feel that when when you're dead. You're gone. Okay. All right, Carol. Well, first of all, um, look. You know, in your own personal experience, let me mm-hmm. let, let me just say this. You know, mm-hmm. the, the love of God and the compassion of God through Christ can really be life changing in mm-hmm. our in our personal experiences. And mm-hmm. we all have points where we come to p- areas of, of perhaps depression and and feel like giving up. Mm-hmm. I would absolutely implore you to look into Scripture to find comfort mm-hmm. and grace to help. Because there's always something good on the other side. Oh, that's what I'm doing. Good, my love good, for God good. would absolutely stop me. It's just that I don't like the thought. Yeah, right. But my love for God and reading the Bible. But um, Good, good. Well, and also, look, it, it, there's nothing wrong with getting some help if you feel like those kinds oh, of yes, thoughts I'm are going into your head. Okay, good. Okay, I'm, I feel better now. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> All right. Too. But, you know, in, in relation to the book that you're reading and the, and the sound bites we're listening to, these are experiences that people have. They're called out-of-body experiences. And people mm-hmm. have all kinds of those kinds of experiences. And in my mind, I look at those, and I, I'm going to be blunt with you, mm-hmm. as, as you're in, in kind of a dream state. Really? Yes. My my wife actually had an out-of-body experience during labor with one of our children. Mm-hmm. And she said that she, she, she could feel herself rise up above the bed, and she was looking down at herself. Now, she right. was alive. But, right. But it was that, 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 that intense experience. So... 
if someone commits suicide, no, they don't go to hell and burn forever. They, because we don't believe anybody goes to hell and burns forever because we don't believe the scriptures teach that. Right. So li- keep listening to the, to the program. I am. And keep your mind focused on the goodness of God in your, in your personal life. It's just strange that this book is actually saying what she's saying. Well, and a lot of people have had that experience, and, yeah. I'll, and I'll get into explaining okay. that a little bit more as we go. All right. Well, thank you for listening to me. Okay, Carol. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Take care. You know, Jonathan, that's why this is such an important subject. We've got to put things in order according to Scripture. And we're going to develop the idea of, okay, a lot of people have had these kinds of experiences. Well, what do you say to that? And we'll, we'll, we'll keep going with that as we go through the program. Let's go back to the other soundbite, the real truth, real quick guys. The guy is trying to explain human vengeance and wrath in this, in this minute here. When um, when I was speaking one time to some people that have suffered through a Holocaust, literally, it was in Africa, and I was talking to some individuals there, and they were asking me questions about why they shouldn't have vengeance. What I did is I shared with them what I would do if somebody had done to me what had been done to their children, to their spouses. And I just said, this is, this is what I would do. I would take that person, and I would torture them to the point of extreme suffering and as close to death as I could get them, then I would get the finest medical staff in the world to come in and bring them back to life in full health. And I would then torture them and make them suffer again. If I saw my kid machete, my wife brutally wait, my daughter's uh, rape, my, my, my daughter's brutally um, suffering under the hands of wicked men the way that they had. And what I did is I painted a picture of such hateful vengeance and bitterness and wrath that I said I would do that for as long as God gave me life. And when I got to heaven, I would pray that he would give me 10,000 years to do it again. Okay, so... Look, Whoa. Well, and he's attempting... Now, look, this is in the context of attempting to explain why he believes that there's a hell of torment and why God is is is, is legitimate in, in creating such a place. And it, does, it, makes, it makes no sense. No. Okay, it doesn't make any sense humanly... For, from my perspective, at well, all. loving your enemies and forgiveness, where did they come in? And also, the laws of justice, as written in the scripture, don't talk about torment and torture. No, they don't. They talk about life and death. An eye for an eye. Yes. Yes. So we're going to come back to all of that, but he's 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 being sarcastic here to prove a point. Okay, but the sarcasm is showing us how demented that kind of thinking really actually looks let's get into the parable of the rich man and lazarus and yes i did say parable uh in the rich man and lazarus well let's start with with a couple of verses drop right into the difficult part and in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torments and seeth abraham afar off and lazarus in his bosom and he cried and said father abraham have mercy on me and send lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for i am tormented in this flame okay that's pretty graphic language how does this fit in with the clarity of definition that we've just discussed in the previous two segments it's a parable Rick. okay how do we know Context. Your favorite word, <laughs> it context. Is, and there's a reason why it's my favorite word. <laughs> Jesus is teaching several audiences all at once with a series of parables. How do we know? Let's go back to Luke 15. Now we'll see Rich Man and Lazarus is in Luke 16. Got to go back to Luke 15, 1 to 3. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him and to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, 
This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying... So now Luke 15, verses 3 to 7, is the first parable he speaks of the lost sheep. It shows the recovery of mankind from their lost state of sin. Jesus gives the interpretation of his theme, which is joy in heaven. He tells them this lesson plainly so they can follow his themes as they unfold into lessons of plain truth about the development of his father's kingdom and condemnation for being too proud and egotistical to comply with it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the first parable is the parable of lost sheep. The second is the parable of the lost coin. And that's Luke 15, 8 to 10. Right, and that illustrates, it's a big picture, the value of the redeemed race of man as part of the symmetry of the ten coins being restored. The lost coin symbolizing the race of man and the woman symbolizing the work of reconciliation. So the third parable in Luke 15, 11 to 32 is a parable of the prodigal son. Everybody knows that one. Yep. But it shows the two classes of Israel. The Pharisees represented in the older brother and the sinners and publicans represented in the younger brother. Incidentally, Jesus had all of them in front of him. That's right. He while did. he was speaking these parables. This story reveals the attitudes of both classes and the grace of God in accepting repentance. And the fourth parable is in Luke 16, 1 through 15. That's the parable of the unjust steward. And frontally attacked the selfish and compromising spirit that the Pharisees displayed and showed their hypocrisy and godlessness. So you have these parables, rapid fire, bing, 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 bing. You got it. Jesus is teaching in parables. He's teaching in parables. And now the parable of the rich man and Lazarus appears. There's a few verses in between, but he tells another story. So why do we think it's a parable? Because Jesus is in the middle of telling a bunch of stories. So this parable, the rich man and Lazarus, is a lesson in reversal. The rich man is favored. The beggar is out of favor. Let's start with that. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Okay, so the rich man, who would we say the rich man represented? Well, Rick, it's the Jewish nation, specifically the Pharisees. Okay, when it says he's clothed in purple, purple is royalty. That's right. And fine linen. And that's the promise of the kingdom and righteousness. Because with favor, with God's favor, comes big things in the future as well. Absolutely. Okay, and it says he fared sumptuously every day. They enjoyed but did not appreciate his blessings. When God blesses us in our lives, we fare sumptuously even if we're going through trials. Yes. Because He's it's the, with us. the blessing of God is behind all that. Yes. And Carol, I hope you're listening to this <laughs> because that's such an important part of things. So you've got the rich man, you know, in a wonderfully blessed state, but he's not appreciating the blessings of, of And if what you he look has. back in history, the nation of Israel, they were up and then down, yeah. up and then down. And at the time of Jesus, they were down. Oh yeah. And so they were not they were not appreciating the blessings of God. So we continue with verse 20 and 21 describing the beggar. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate, full of sores, and that desired to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So that's kind of gross. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you have Lazarus. Now, who is Lazarus representing? The Gentiles, the everybody else outside of Jewish favor. And that's important. And, you know, the Gentiles are not a nation. They are the everybody else. You're right. Absolutely. In terms of scripture, if you're not a Jew. You're a dog. You're everyone else. Everyone else. Right. Laid at his gate full of sores. Outside the gate of favor. Outside of atonement. Which Israel had. Through the sacrifices. Year after year. year. You know, with the tabernacle in the temple and so forth. So... Outside of favor, outside of the gate, desired crumbs, and, and kept company with dogs. Spiritually hungry, unclean, and detestable. So, and they desired to have favor, but 
At that point, they had none. Right. And they couldn't have favor. Exactly. Until the door was opened. And, you got and it. we know that, that, that Peter had the vision of the, of the unclean animals coming down. On from the heaven, sheet. And yep. that was the signal that now those things that were unclean are now, are now clean. clean. Ah, the changeover. Right. And this is a parable that's explaining that's what's going to happen. Okay? So, the first point about the rich man Lazarus, it's a parable. And the thing said is not the thing meant. The thing said is a symbol of the thing meant. And it's amazing how it's explaining exactly what took place in the future. Yes. It, it, it really, exactly. Because yeah. shortly after Jesus was crucified and resurrected, Israel lost favor. Yeah. And, and it, it was, it was spread to the Gentiles. Okay. Having said all that, having established that it is a parable, let's go back to Tamara LaRue. Uh, again, her interview with the 700 Club. Uh, talking very graphic. About, yeah, very graphic description of what happened when she says she was in hell. And that's hard for the, the physical mind to understand those things. But I, when I would look at it, I remember looking at an individual, particularly, and they were as close to me as, as you are. And when I saw them, Pat, I knew everything about them. I knew every sin they had committed. I knew my knowledge about their life was completely full. Mm-hmm. I knew everything they had done wrong. I knew their thoughts. I knew their emotions. I knew the will. I knew everything I could think upon. My wisdom was in its fullness. It was like a Harvard degree instantly, yeah. you know, but it didn't matter. It, it didn't matter. In that hideous state of a burning torment, the only knowledge that mattered was that Jesus Christ was Lord. And here I am in this state of, of agony, indescribable agony, and the only thing that mattered was that I never surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So, you know, there, there's several things about that. It's a very graphic story. And she says, you know, she had great full knowledge in this horrible, horrible, horrible torment. So you got to ask, well, why did she get delivered and nobody else did? We'll get to that in the second hour. But he, here's the reversal, Jonathan. We're almost out of time here. The beggar is now favored in the parable, and the rich man is out of favor. Luke 16, 22 and 23. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeing Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. So what does that mean? Folks, if we're not on in your area for the second hour, please go to ChristianQuestions.com, click Listen Live, stay with us, or you can follow us on your, your, your Christian Questions app on your smartphone. This is important. We're talking about the idea of hell and torment and scripture. And Jonathan, what we're saying is the two don't mix, not even remotely close. Why do we say that? Because when we put all the scriptural reasoning together, it shows us something very different. So in the second hour, we'll continue that discussion. So much more to come for Jonathan and Rick and Christian questions. Do the fires of hell come from God? And if they don't, where do they come from? We'll be back after the news and all that. But till then, think about it. Christian Questions. 
Dennis Prager once said, If there is no God, the labels good and evil are merely opinions. They are substitutes for I like it and I don't like it. They are not objective realities. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to Christian Questions Talk Radio with your breakfast with Jonathan and Rick. This isn't your typical Christian commentary. We love talking with our audience, and we promise to never talk at you like so many talk shows do today. This is a conversation about biblical topics as we look at them from a different perspective. And Jonathan, we've got an important and difficult subject on the table today. We really do, and our title is, Do the Fires of Hell Come from God? Part 3, and our theme text is in Acts chapter 3, verse 23. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. So, in the first hour, we talked about the word Sheol in the Old Testament means the grave. And the word Hades isn't the identical word, but it's in the Greek. Right, and, and that's the New Testament word. Yeah. And both of those words, they, they, they work together. They mm-hmm. describe subterranean, if you will. Right. And we are, we began, or the end of the, uh, the first hour, talk, beginning to talk about the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And, you know, we had read some very difficult scriptures about, you know, in hell being in torments and so forth and so on, and very, very harsh, harsh realities there of that parable. What but, do they mean? But we realize it's a parable. Yes. It's not literal. Alright, so before we get back into that study and into that lesson, um, let's go back to the, the, the YouTube, uh, guys, real truth, real quick. He's trying to explain why he believes or why hell has to be a place of torment. And, you know, he started out explaining it in, in terms of, you know, somebody hurt my family, I would torture them to the point of death. Then I would get them nursed back to health so I could torture them again. And I'd do it again and again and again. And and you think, well, wait, there, there's, there's, there's an issue there. There is. Okay. But let, let's continue because he's trying to make a point. Okay. So let's see if we can get his point. And I would, I would say, Lord, if I slipped up and messed up and that guy died, resurrect him so I can make him suffer again. And I would do that. And I did it in a way describing my anger and, and my justice against what had happened to them. That finally they were like, bro, you got anger problems. You, you, you shouldn't, you shouldn't want to see people suffer like that. And I said, but gang, listen, I think if I did that for a hundred thousand years, I would eventually go, okay, now you've learned a lesson. Don't ever do that to me again and to my family again. Okay. So now he's saying if I could do it for a hundred thousand years, he'd, he'd finally get over it. And he would stop. Yeah. Bro, you got an anger problem. You're right. That's what he said. I'm quoting him. Yeah. There's something's not right in that picture. And, if you extend that, when you look at justice in the Old Testament, justice was when somebody did bad, they were killed. You don't have any scripture in the Old Testament talking about torment and torture. You're right. Torment and torture were not allowed in the context of God's law for humanity. So are we saying that God, who is above us, uh, commits torment and torture because he can it doesn't make sense. What happened the teachings of Jesus, yeah. love your enemies and forgiveness. So let, let's get back to the rich man and Lazarus. Jonathan, let's reread Luke 16, 22 and 23. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Okay, so now if this was not a parable... Because those who you know believe in, in hellfire really don't look at this as a parable. You're right. And if they were literally went someplace, then we would need to ask some test questions. Well, where would Abraham's bosom be? Right. Do all of the faithful go there? Uh, how big is that space <laughs> that we're talking about? Was Lazarus faithful or was he just poor? 
Was the rich man bad or just rich? If not, who does go there and where does everyone else go? So it's not making sense in terms of literal no, it's location. Not. Abraham's bosom, why didn't it say heaven? Yeah. You know, and, 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 and hell, you know, it's not making sense. So let's just go through a couple of these details before we go to the phones. The, the beggar dies and he's carried by the angels. The Gentiles died to their disfavor, carried by the apostles. Right, and they're carried to favor. Yes. To Abraham. Became the children of God and heirs of the Abrahamic promise. And that's found in Galatians 3.29. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise so they are brought into heirship yes okay they're brought out of disfavor into being heirs the rich man dies and is buried the jews died to their favor and are buried in sin once again because that's what it says he, he died and was buried they're buried in sin that's a picture language showing something very very real lifted his eyes up in hell entombed as a nation in the death of of disfavor. Je oh, can you imagine that? After all the favor they had before? And Jesus is showing graphically that being dead to God, you're, it's, 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 a, it's a terrible, terrible situation. Oh, for sure. So he's talking about the nation in general. He's talking about a very, very big picture here. So verse 22 uh, is teaching us about the state of being dead and not being in any particular place. Right. Okay, before we go to verse 23, why don't we go to the phone? All right, well, we have Julius from Connecticut. Good morning, Julius, and welcome to Christian Questions. Gentlemen, good morning. I'm sorry I missed you last week. Yeah. I was on the road. Yeah, we'll let you go this time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if I may uh, compliment uh, why you, uh, your answer to Carol a little while ago, mm -hmm. I, would, I would suggest to her, urge her, uh, I love the scripture. I think it's in James, the fourth chapter, where it says, Draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you. If you really want to be strong and uh, joyful in life, you, draw, you study God and his word. You know the beauty of that, if I may just uh, momentarily say, that Carol, if, as she grows stronger in that, she could help other people. That's where really, really, uh, you know, uh, strength and joy they come together, be, being helpful to others also besides yourself. Okay, uh, do the fires of hell come uh, from God? Of course not. I love your uh, <laughs> the, your explanation of uh, the rich man and Lazarus. It never grows old. I've heard it before. It's always uh, uh, instructive and uh, helpful. Uh, the the notion that. Uh, God will torment people like that. I think it's dishonorable. It's a dishonor to God's love and character, number one. Number two, the notion defies the laws of chemistry. And number three, you know, look at the depth, the simplicity of this, this statement in Psalms 30, verse 5. God's anger is before a moment. Joy cometh in the morning for a moment. It, it, you know, even depraved man, punishment they give. You know, it's, it's what, five years, ten years. No, God's going to do it eternal. Come on, it just it makes no sense. God bless. Thank you. Thank you, Joyce. Appreciate your call. You know, it was a great scripture. Psalm thirty, verse five. God's anger for a moment. Joy comes in the morning. And he mentioned Carol and in, in, in a good reference. And, and I just want to make a comment about what, what Carol was saying. Um, you know, about the book she's reading. And, and and Carol, listen. I hope you're still listening. 
many years ago, I had an experience where my boss, uh, his, his teenage son committed suicide. And it was the most horrific experience. And when my boss was in such grief, he never told anybody about it except for me. I was relatively close to him. And I remember having a conversation with him in between. I mean, this was, you know, just a little bit after it happened. And, and we're sitting quietly and he's sobbing and he has this book in his hand that he's reading about the end of the world and you know about destruction and blah, 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 blah. and he keeps referring to the book and he's looking at it and talking about his son and I looked at him and I asked him I said I said look can you give me that book and he handed it to me I said I'm not giving it back this isn't helping you you're reading something that's feeding your fear it's feeding your 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 internal upset you need peace and I threw the book away because it just wasn't helping him. And, and Carol, I would suggest the same. That book is not helping you. It's not scripturally based. It's based on the experiences of human beings. And you can read a thousand books with a thousand different experiences and they all contradict each other. So it's not about human experience. We want scriptural knowledge. So that's what I would say about that. Uh, Luke 16:23. let's continue. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. Okay, so now he's in torments. Now, how do you deal with that? After all of these explanations, what does that mean? Before we get to the answer, let's go back to Tamara LaRue. I almost don't want to, but let's go back there. Anyway. Because she says something very interesting in her experience. Listen real carefully to this particular soundbite. Was this like regret in your mind as part of that fear? Absolutely regret. regret there was so much regret and, yeah. and shame and guilt that I had believed a lie and that I had believed the deceit. And when I looked out across the the, the lake, the, across the, the heavens, I could see the entire universe, Pat. And it was like the earth was magnified. Mm-hmm. And there was a mutual feeling a mutual understanding of everyone the thousands millions of people that were there with me that we did not want anyone to go where we were we wanted people to go back to earth and warn everyone don't believe the line do not be deceived by your enemy do not come here so the interesting thing is she says there's a mutual feeling amongst all of the millions there in this place that they really want better for other people so you get a sense that they're getting a sense that they've been punished for something they did wrong. They don't want others to believe the lie that they believed. And yet there's no way out for them. So even though they have come to a point of repenting and saying, we want to do something to keep others out. Uh, no, no, you can't. I'm sorry. It's over. Is that the God of love that we talk about, that, that, that Jesus came and represented to us? I mean, folks, ask yourself that question. Please, eternity is, is, is beyond our comprehension. So, okay. All right. Okay. So, <laughs> verse 23, Luke 16, 23, and hell being in torments. Remember, we touched on this in the first hour. Remember we read Revelation 2014. It says that hell can't be the lake of fire because Revelation 24, 20, verse 14 separates the two. Just reread that. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So if you're saying that the hell that Lazarus or the rich man is in is the same, it's not because Revelation tells us they're different. That's right. Okay. And and this verse is saying, well, there's a first death, then the resurrection from the dead, then the day of judgment. Then those unwilling to conform to God's way go into this second death. And that's... And it doesn't say anything about torment. No. In that case. So, but what it... But it does say something about torment in Luke 16, 23. It says, in hell... He lifted up his eyes, being in torments. What does that mean? 
What does the word torment mean? It means, Rick, a touchstone. What? A touchstone. Yeah. Yeah. That, well, That's that, what the word is literal that doesn't in make, the Greek. No, not touchdown. Fred puts up his hands like touchdown. No, Fred. <laughs> no. Not touchstone. touchdown. I know football season's almost here. Not touchdown. <laughs> touchstone. What was a touchstone in those days? The Greek English lexicon says a touchstone, which is a black cilius stone used to test the purity of gold or silver by the color of the streak produced on rubbing it with either metal by which one is forced to divulge the truth. Okay, so the this stone was kept by merchants in the in the, in the square if you will. Yeah. And they were paid in in coins and they to make sure that the coin was real, they would take this stone out and rub the edge against it and they would see by the color of the streak if it was actually silver or gold or it was something else. And that's why when you find coins from long ago, they're not perfectly round. Right. They're all Exactly. Ed- edges all over him. So it is a revealment. This he was being tormented. He was being revealed. He was being tested and shown what his true colors were. Yes. That's what the word really means. Now, uh, verse. Uh, um, the only other word outside of verse twenty-three and twenty-eight in in Luke sixteen, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. The only other use of this particular word is in Matthew chapter four, verse twenty-four. And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all the sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments. Okay, touchstone. And those which are possessed with devils, and those which are lunatic, and those that had palsy, and he healed them. So, torments, testings, hard, hard testings. That's what that scripture is referring to. So the actual definition is a touchstone. Also note that the word uh, for torment in verse 24 of Luke, which we will get to next segment, is an entirely different word. Because he says, I'm being tormented in this flame. Oh, okay. All so right. it's not the same touchstone word. Okay. So the same right. word torments used two different ways. Uh, seeing Abraham and Lazarus, what does that mean? The spiritual seed of Abraham in his bosom, no longer aliens, but children. And we see that through Romans, we won't read it, but Romans 11, 17 through 20, it's talking about the old, the, 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 the olive tree and the old branches, uh, were cut off, Israel. But what a privilege it was for the Gentiles to be grafted in. And that's represented by Lazarus. Yes. Those who were previous, the wild branches that didn't belong on that olive tree. Gentiles. Grafted in so they can be in favor. Yes. Well, the other branches were cut off. That's what this story, and it is a story, of the rich man and Lazarus is really showing us. It's showing us a, a, a change in the way things work. It's showing us that it is, it is different now than it was before. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Do the Fires of Hell Come from God? Part 3. Coming up. Okay, so tormented, does, tormented means tested or proven. But what about the flame? You're not letting me off the hook, are you? No, sir. That's next. You're listening to Christian Question. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Do the Fires of Hell Come from God? Part 3. To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you can message us on your app. 
We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now. And our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And, you know, Rick, we didn't get a chance to read all the scriptures um, that we had prepared on that last yeah, segment. so what else is new? <laughs> so it would be a great thing to go to the website, ChristianQuestions.com, and sign up for CQ Rewind so that you don't miss all the details that are there proving this subject. Right, and, and it's important, especially with a subject like this. We don't want tradition... We want scriptural foundation. Yes. That's what we want. That's what we want. That's what we want. And, and Seeker Rewind provides that basis because everything we say, we really, truly, truly try to base entirely on scripture. Absolutely. Okay, so Jonathan, uh, let's go back. To, you asked about the flames and all that. We're going yes, we're, we're yes, to get yes. to that in a we moment. We talk about the flames. <laughs> yes, we do. Let's go back to real truth real quick. And again, this is the, 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 the Christian who's trying to explain you know, he said, remember, if, if somebody hurt his family, he'd torture them and torment them. And, 10,000. And uh, again and again. Yeah. And yeah. if he could do it for 100,000 years, maybe he'd say, okay, you've had enough. Never, enough. never mess with my family again. Okay? Yeah. Uh, after 100,000 years of doing this. Uh-huh. Okay, now let's listen to his next statement. If God didn't change my heart to help me see the real glory of who he is, I think the number one problem I would have with God when I get to heaven is hell. And I think what he's going to have to show me is, Todd, I know that you would do it for 100,000 years. But this isn't a sin against you. You're finite, so your justice can be satisfied. I am infinite in my glory and infinite in my goodness. And, uh, and, and so when they're rejecting me, they're rejecting my eternal glory and my goodness. And so if they don't want to accept my eternal glorious provision for them, which is my son, and the evidence of who I am, clearly seen throughout all of creation then their offense is against me. And since you're nothing like me, there's no way you could understand eternal hell. But just know this, I'm an eternal God, and to enjoy me is to enjoy me forever, and to not know me is to suffer in being away from me forever. Okay, he makes a great leap there, because he keeps talking about God's eternal justice. We are created in the image of God. That's right. It's interesting how we all understand the love of God and the compassion of God. And we as Christians spend our lives basking in that and talking about that and wanting others to appreciate it. And we say that we understand the love of God and we say that we understand the the, the pathway that we have to walk in Jesus and all of that. So why is it on the one subject of justice we say, okay, that's beyond our understanding. God's love is eternal. We know what that means. Right? Oh, yeah. God's justice is also eternal. We also know what it means because the scriptures are emphatic when God presents to us law. It's life or death. God in scripture never talks about he initiating torment on anyone, especially not for eternity. I thought it was interesting that he said, you know, the first question I have when I get get to heaven is explain this one to me. Because it doesn't make sense. Right, it doesn't. And he's trying to help us understand that it makes sense in a godly sense. And I'm saying, no, God has revealed enough of his character to us to make, help us understand, you're right the first time. It doesn't make sense. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. And, and that means we're on right now. Christian Questions, a voice of reason in a world that's lost its way. Keep in touch at ChristianQuestions.com. And don't forget to message us from your app 
or you can send us an email at rick at christianquestions.net. Okay, Jonathan, let's get into the flames. Luke 16, 24, let's reread that. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Okay, let's go through it piece by piece. Father Abraham, have mercy. Essentially, don't abandon me even though I abandoned you. Okay. This is the nation of Israel. Right. And this is very, this is graphic. This is. is a graphic lesson Jesus is teaching. Send Lazarus with a drop of water. Water, as we know, scripturally, is a symbol of truth. So just just give us a little truth so we can not abandon you anymore. That's what he's basically saying. I am tormented. <laughs> well, what does that mean? What does the word, this particular word for tormented mean? In the Greek, it's to grieve. To grieve. To grieve. Okay. We got to explain that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let, let's look at another way that it's used. Uh, Luke 2.48. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. The word for sorrowing is grieving. And this is Jesus' mother and father, Mary and Joseph, when Jesus, they lost him. For three days. When he was 12 years old. But he was in the synagogue. He was okay. He was okay. They they were in a panic. They were grieving. That's what the word means. It means to grieve. Acts 20.38 further helps us understand that. Sorrowing. Most of all, for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more, and they accompanied him into the ship. This is Paul talking to the Ephesians about his farewell. Right. And they were grieving he was leaving them. Right. Sorrowing that they would never see him again. So so these other uses of the word have nothing to do with physical pain. Oh, no, no, no. Not. It's an emotional thing, right? It's grief. Yes. When it says, I am tormented, I am in grief. He's not crying out in agony the way everybody describes it in their books, in their tapes, in their everything else. This is deep sadness. That's exactly what it is. So what about the flame then? I am tormented. I am grieving in this flame. Well, the word for flame in this is phlox. That's the, the Greek word. What does it mean? A blaze. Okay. That's, a, all, that's a, what it means. That's what it means. A blaze. Okay. Now, here's the interesting thing. This word phlox, if you look it up in, 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 in the New Testament, in every single time it's used, except for in this parable, it's describing something that has to do with real fire. But here's the difference. Uh, Acts 7.30. And when 40 years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush. Okay, so in a flame, same word, of fire. So the flame is showing you the blaze or the brightness Mm -hmm. of the fire. Right. Okay, Uh, so that's real fire. There was real fire in the burning bush. Yes, there was. Okay, symbolic fire. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 7. And the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Okay, symbolic fire. A flame, that's the word, of fire. A second word that talks about literal fire. So, Jonathan, the, the point is where it says, I am tormented in this flame. It doesn't say, I am tormented in this fire. No, it and you doesn't. say, oh, well, wait, you're, you're nitpicking. No, it's not the word for fire. It's the word for brightness, blaze. Something, when, when you say... You're, 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 it's the month of uh, late October, okay? Mm-hmm. And you're driving through the mountainous, uh, mountainside in, in New England. And you see that all of the trees are ablaze in color. Yes. Same meaning. Bright, shining out. You can see them. They're ablaze with color. It's the same kind of thing. This is not about fire. 
And it doesn't say the word fire. It says flame because it's talking about the brightness of the fire. So in all cases, except for this parable, this word is used with the word of fire. Jesus' lesson here is not one of torture, but of the revealing of past indiscretions and misuses of favor. Which Israel can learn from. They were famous for at that time. The flame is not destructive, but revealing and bright. And its purpose is to be the light that uncovers all things. That's what this flame of fire is really, really all about. So, so Jonathan, when we take it apart, when we realize that it's a story, a parable. and we realize that that story has a specific uh, purpose for it. And it showed us the truth, the history of what happened to Israel and the blessing to the Gentiles, which were out of favor for so many years. And, you know, again, the story is the thing said is not the thing meant. You know, in the parable of the lost sheep, Jesus was talking, this is one of the parables in the context, Jesus was talking about sheep, but he didn't mean sheep. He was using sheep as a symbol of something else. Parable of the lost coin. Jesus didn't care about coins. Give to Caesar what a Caesar's, you know. <laughs> right. I don't want any. <laughs> exactly. But the coin was a symbol of something else. Uh, you know, a flame of fire, the, the torment being buried, all these, it's a symbol of the same theme that he was running through the previous four parables of the loss of opportunity and the giving of favor to somebody else. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255, toll free, 866 for all We are live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central, and that means we're on right now. And if you don't have the app for your smartphone, go to your app store and type in Christian Questions and enjoy everything Christian Questions. There you go. Okay, so we've gone through this being tormented. I am grieved in this brightness. What brightness? The fact that I'm dead to favor. That was hard. That, of course it would be hard. Luke 16:25. Next Oh no, wait, wait, wait. Before we go to the next verse, let's go back to Tamara LaRue okay. again. Okay. And I think we're going to have her just one more time after this, but uh, let's listen to what she says. Was there any end to it for these people? No. There was no end. No and end. No end. And you could look across the Gulf expanse uh-huh. and you could see heaven, you could see the peace, the joy, the love, the the wholeness. And you knew you were never going to experience that because time does not exist in eternity. Time does not exist at all. And so, you know, you are there forever with no relief. The burn will never stop. The screaming will never stop. And the only thing you can do is hope that no one else will come where you are. It's a horrible prospect when you think of it. I mean, the human mind can't conceive of anything as absolutely awful as that. Nor can the mind of God. Okay. Nor, nor can the what? Nor can the mind of God conceive of anything as awful as that. And Jonathan, that's what we believe the scriptures are telling us, that this is not a God-driven belief. It is a tradition-driven belief. And I will go as far as to say, and this might sound harsh, but I'm, it, it's a superstition-driven belief. Mm-hmm. There is documented historical proof that in Greek traditions, they had this idea of burning burning hell and all that long before Jesus was and on the scene. Egyptian also. And it was there to keep people in line because they were afraid of things they didn't see. Yes. So you can keep the masses in line if you create a graphic story. Of fear. Of, of, of stepping out of line. And look, that's what a dictator does. God is not a dictator. God is a God of love, a God of justice, a God of mercy, a God of kindness, a God of power and wisdom. He has all of these attributes, and his justice is not out of sync 
with the rest of them. All right. On to verse 25 of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receiveth thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. See, he, Jesus is now showing you the explanation. He said, look, while you were alive to favor, things were good. When Lazarus, the Gentile, was alive, he was out of favor, things were bad. Yep. It's reversed now. That's right. So with this understanding of torment being anguish and the flame meaning light in mind, let's take a look and let, let, let's paraphrase verse 24. And Jonathan, this is our paraphrase of verse 24. Father, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus, those whom I despised, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, or truth, and give me just a drop of it, for I am in deep anguish of heart in this light that has revealed my irresponsibility, my pride, and my fall from favor. Now that's our paraphrase. You're not going to find that written anywhere else yeah. except for Seeker Rewind the Full Edition. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, and the point of the paraphrase is to try to explain how it fits into the story. And, and, and folks, when you, when you see how it fits into the story, it makes such perfect sense. Absolutely. Because the previous stories were all about lost opportunity. This is also about lost opportunity, but it's not about forever. Okay, it's not about forever. It's about losing the opportunity of God's favor here in this life. So suddenly, we're not seeing hellfire and torment. We're seeing anguish of heart at sin being revealed in the light of truth. Tormented in this flame. You gotta erase that image and replace it with the proper image. This agony is not caused by physical pain, but by the realization that there's no place to hide. There is now nothing you can do but to accept the consequences that you so richly deserve. See, that's the other thing. Because a lot of times when people say, well, if you take away hell, you take away God's justice. No, 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 no. You don't take away God's justice. You take away a perversion of God's justice. God's justice always requires accountability. God's justice always has consequences. But those consequences are commensurate with the sin. And there is no sin that a human being can commit that warrants eternally being tormented. Good point. Okay, it just should there be consequences? Oh yeah. Should there be should should there be difficulties? Oh yes. Should there be discipline? Absolutely. That's what a loving father would do. Exactly. And, you know, a loving father does not like disciplining their, no. chi- their children. No. I know that. No, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's really important. So Jesus was forcefully teaching that Israel, the Pharisees, the rich man, were about to lose favor with God, being, which meant being close to Abraham. And the Gentiles, represented by Lazarus the beggar, were about to gain that favor. Jesus was illustrating the suffering and anguish that they, Israel and the Pharisees, were going to experience. And, Jonathan, we don't have time to go into the rest of this parable. So, folks, if you want to see the interpretation of the rest of the parable, where do they find it? Seek your rewind, the full edition. All right. So, wrapping this portion up, Jonathan, it's a... Go ahead. What comes after this parable? Because... If we followed four parables before this, then we hit the rich man and Lazarus. What's what's next? And what I found was the millstone mm-hmm. and then faith as a mustard seed. More story, picture language. picture language to teach the audience. So this is folded in between all of the picture language. So, so you have a clear picture that Jesus is using pictures to teach important lessons that have nothing to do with eternal torment. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Do the Fires of Hell Come from God? Part 3. Coming up, 
What about Revelation and the smoke of their torment rising up forever? You just don't quit, do you? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. Welcome back. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject this morning, Do the Fires of Hell Come from God? Part 3. To be a part of our program, call toll-free 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-4ALL. Or you can message us on your app. We're live Sunday mornings from 7 to 9 Eastern and 6 to 8 Central. That means we're on right now on our website, ChristianQuestions.com. And go to our website and become a Twitter follower and learn about upcoming programs and new updates posted. Our website has over 500 archived programs. Go to ChristianQuestions.com. A lot to see there, a lot to do. It's really very cool, all those folks that help us with that and that we don't know anything about. Our volunteer <laughs> army. It's amazing. It really is amazing. All right, so, so Jonathan, we've, we've gone through a lot of the, the aspects of the concept of hell and torment and all of that. And this is part three of a three-part series. So you've got to hear part one and two to get the big, big picture. There are a couple of scriptures left that we haven't talked about. In Revelation. And were these questions asked by the listener that wanted us to address yes. this subject? Yeah, he mentioned the rich man and Lazarus scriptures. Okay. He mentioned one of the Revelation scriptures. All right. And so we're, we're trying to deal with them all because that's the respectful way to answer a question, is to deal with the actual question and not skirt the issue. Excellent. So there are two scriptures from Revelation that need explanation, Revelation 14, 9 through 11 and Revelation 20, 7 through 10. Now we're going to focus on one and the same reasoning is going to apply to the other because we're not going to have time to do both fully. But let's start with Revelation 14, 9 through 11. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worshipped the beast in his image and received his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever. And they had no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Okay, so that's pretty serious stuff. The smoke of their torment. You know, you got fire and brimstone. Uh, tormented with fire and brimstone, smoke rising up forever. Big, 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 big deal going on here. Yes. Revelation is a book of symbols. If you don't take it as a book of symbols, you're going to run into all kinds of trouble. It's absolutely positively a book of symbols. So we're going to just give you a sense of the symbols in this scripture so we can get on to the true, uh, true question we want to answer. The symbols of the text, the beast and his image, represent great religious systems that are based on Christianity and falsify the true meaning of Christianity. Okay, Remember, Antichrist doesn't mean against Christ. It means in place of Christ. It's taking the sacrifice and what Jesus stood for and replacing it with something else. That's what that is. So that the, the, the beast and the image, that's what it's talking about. Uh, great religious systems that are based on Christianity but falsify it. The mark, the forehead, and the hand are all symbols as well in terms of how it affects us, as well as the wine of God's wrath. Again, wine of God's wrath, come on, that's a symbol. It's in a cup of indignation. So is it any surprise that the fire and brimstone and smoke are symbolic as well? You can't take those literally if you take the other symbolically. You're right. Okay? So, you know, I mean, how much wine is there in God's wrath? Does he have barrels and barrels of wine? 
you have to see it for what it is. So torment, the word torment here, you know, they're, they're tormented and all that. The same root word as in the rich man parable, which was what? Touchstone. Right. That same, same meaning. So that's the first part of this. Now we're going to look at the how to put the symbols in order according to Scripture, because the Scriptures actually tell us about these things before they're written in Revelation. Excellent. And again, you have to go back to the Old Testament to be able to do that. But before we go there, one more time, let's go to Tamara LaRue in her interview uh, with the 700 Club, describing her experience where she says she went into hell. It's so amazing. It's God's love was so incredible that before I actually um, uh, shot myself, yeah. I cried out to God to forgive me. And and in that cry of desperation of forgiveness, God heard me. And he is so faithful to his word and to his promise that in my screaming and in my agony and in the revelation of what I experienced, God came down from heaven mm-hmm. and this hand scooped me up Pat and picked me up and I realized I was not in hell because I shot myself because no act can take you to hell as if no act can take you to heaven mm-hmm. we are saved by faith yeah, okay. and so I realized that I wasn't there by my actions I was there because I didn't receive Jesus as my Lord and so when this hand picked me up and took me over the vast expanse took me over that gulf fix and it's huge but to God, it's just like a simple. That's a simple what Jesus said mind. in the parable. There's a great gulf between us fixed. All right. First of all, Pat Roberts says, uh, you know, it, it's a, Jesus said that in the parable. So he admits that rich man and Lazarus is a parable. Yay. I just want to make that <laughs> little point. But, you know, she's talking about the mercy and love of God. This hand scooping her up and taking her out because she had cried out to God. So you mean to tell me that everybody else who was there uh, didn't have the mercy of God? And they were crying out, don't let anybody else come here. Don't anybody else leave, believe the lies. So it's, there's, a, there's a, a gross inconsistency there really is. in describing the character of God. God is, 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 is manic uh, according to what they're, what they're talking about there. So uh, anyway, we use it as an explanation, Jonathan, because those stories obviously are out there. Mm-hmm. And they're based on tradition, not scriptural foundation. Big difference between the two. So the symbol of smoke. Let's get on to the symbol of smoke. And folks, if you have a thought, uh, now would be the time. 866-985-4255. Toll free. 866-985-4ALL. If you want to get in, uh, really, uh, dial now. (laughs) Blood, fire, and smoke being used as symbolic warnings. Acts chapter 2, verses 19 through 20. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. This is symbolic language. Now, I know, Jonathan, a lot of people are all excited about the blood moon coming up and the series of blood moons that have happened. Yeah. But this is a symbol, okay? God works in a very quiet way in the bringing down of this society and the building up of his kingdom on earth. And he doesn't make signs that are going to be that easy for the world to see until such a time as it's obvious uh, when, when the kingdom actually begins. Those are symbols, blood, fire, smoke, all symbols. Smoke rising as a symbol of complete annihilation. 
This is important. Where does the revelator, John the Revelator, get this symbolism from? It actually comes from Isaiah chapter 34, verses 5 through 10. For my sword hath drunk its fill in heaven. Behold, I shall come down upon Edom and upon the people of my curse to judgment. Okay, so there's a harsh judgment coming. For Jehovah hath a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. And the streams of Edom shall be turned into pitch, and the dust thereof into brimstone, and the land thereof shall be burning pitch. Okay, so you're getting an imagery of brimstone and pitch, both which just burn and burn and burn. It shall not be quenched night or day. The smoke thereof shall go up forever, for generation to generation, it shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. So it's talking about for generations it shall lie waste. Notice nothing is alive. It's all destroyed. It's all done. It's all gone. Nothing shall pass through it forever. Edom is still desolate. Oh, that's right. It is to today. So he is talking about the destruction of Edom, and sure enough, it happened, and it was a destruction. And when it says the smoke of their torment it's talking about the evidence of what they what had been done a history yes will exactly. never be forgotten because it's a it's, it's a literal fact that in the ancient days when someone would sack a city and burn it yeah and you know everything would die yep. those fires would smolder for years afterwards that's right and you could look out across the plain and see where that city once was and you could literally See the smoke of that uh, that that siege that had been over for years still rising up. It was a symbol. It was showing us that you look over there and say, "Oh yeah, I remember what used to be there." You didn't hear any screams. There's no torture. There's none of that. There's just a remembrance. That's what the smoke rising up and ascending forever means. It was using literal happenings in, in, in history to show us this is the kind of thing that we're talking about here. <clears throat> so while the above uh, revelation scripture doesn't use the actual word Gehenna, uh, the destruction of Gehenna is certainly implied. Remember, they had the, uh, the fire and the brimstone. Mm-hmm. That's what was put in Gehenna. That's right. So we would suggest, again, we're going to give you a paraphrase of this particular verse uh, from, from the Jonathan and Rick book of paraphrases. <laughs> <laughs> and the only reason we ever do this is when we're talking about difficult things is once we try to establish what the scriptural basis and meaning is for something, we go back and say, okay, let's try to, now that we've discussed all of these different pieces, let's put them all in order and see if they make sense you know, in, in our reading of the scripture. So go ahead, Jonathan, with that. All of the great false Christian religious systems that lead people away from the t- truth, the beast, his image, and any who worship them will be subject to the wrath of God and will be utterly exposed as false and hypocritical as such will meet with complete destruction, fire, and brimstone. In the presence of Jesus and his true followers, the Lamb and his angels, though destroyed, the remembrance of their now revealed false systems and hypocrisy, the smoke of their torment, will be forever. They have no rest day or night in the minds of men. So you can see it, you see evidence of it, and God will allow the sinfulness of sin to always be remembered so that no one ever... For eternity. Right, ever, ever has a desire to go back there again. Let's go back, Jonathan, last time, real quick, real truth, real truth, real quick, rather. Uh, this, this, this Christian who's desperately trying to make sense of eternal torment, you know, from coming from God as he believes. 
and uh, I can't explain it away just because it's too hard for me. It w- doesn't make sense to me now, and it won't make sense to me in heaven until I see the fullness and the glory of God. He just tells me it's there, and it's true, and we do know this, that God takes no delight in the death of the wicked, and we do know that's why he's slow in bringing judgment. Not because he doesn't care about those that are suffering right now in the midst of sin, but because he loves the sinner, and he desires that none should perish but all come to repentance. So, so Jonathan, when you, when you, he, he's been trying to use his, <clears throat> his analogy of, of himself and all that to prove that, you know, this is above our understanding, but we've got to be able to accept it because God says it. But what he accomplishes, I think, is he accomplishes exactly the opposite. He does. He accomplishes saying, this makes no sense to anybody anywhere at any time. And it really doesn't. And you know why it doesn't make sense? Because it's tradition, not scriptural foundation you look into history that verifies it you look into old and new testament those two verify that as well jonathan very quickly revelation 2010 we're almost oh we got okay we got two minutes okay good and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever Okay, so now we're not going to go through the Revelation 2010 uh, context and all of that. We just don't have time. But this text is very similar to the Revelation 14 discussed above, and we believe that it warrants the same answers that we've already given. We get a sense that all evil in all of its forms ends up in the lake of fire in this total destruction. And... And that's called the second death. Yes, and and the, the point is God will destroy. God's justice will prevail and see that's the thing you got to get if, if you take away that the, the the flames and torture of hell you're not taking away god's justice you're making room for god's justice god's justice cannot exist truly cannot exist within the character of god if you have an eternal place of torment torment and torture it just can't what god's justice says through the plan uh, of god written in the bible is that evil and all those who re- represent it will be destroyed. And that evil will never be forgotten. Right. And see, that's the point. The experience of evil is indelibly stamped upon his creation. And his creation, with that indelible stamp, can always look back and say, wow, that was a bad ride. Without God, life is miserable. How does God recompense evil with his great vengeance? Through annihilation through complete destruction because when you think about it from a standpoint of godliness there's no greater punishment than to not be able to live there is no greater punishment to be wiped out completely and forever so your life is no longer there that's God's justice nothing more nothing less folks we hope you've enjoyed being with us it's a tough subject again it's a three part series please go through all three parts I know it'll take some time but it's definitely worth it to see that hellfire and torment and torture are based on tradition, not scriptural foundation. God has a much bigger heart, much more mercy, and much more wisdom than that. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we'll be back again next week with another subject. But till then, let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you. Think about it. <laughs>